Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Goaltending, where your why is bigger than your excuses. Today, we're diving into how to prevail with one purpose in your life and learn a little bit about the book writing process from our outstanding guests. Uh, before I introduce him, I do want to remind you that we appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your journey. Knowledge is truly the key to success, but having the key does nothing if you don't choose to use it. So I want to encourage you to use the knowledge you gain to take action towards your goals. Now let's get straight to it. Our guest today currently serves as a professor and program director of organizational leadership and learning at the University of Louisville. He's also an author who published his first solo book, Prevailing with Purpose, a motivational reflection to connect meaning in life in 2023, which I'm going to highly encourage you to go get a copy of. He came up through less than desirable conditions, but found his way through purpose-driven decision-making and guidance from family and mentors. He places a huge focus on education, relationships, racial equity, and spirituality. So excited to have you here, Dr. Randy Whetstone Jr. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited for the growth people are going to get from today's episode. After reading your book, I know there's a lot to share. So let's get straight to it with what led you down the path of education and becoming an author? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, my my, my educational journey hasn't um, always been my first goal. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, when I was a teenager, I loved Sports Center and ESPN. So I looked up to the late great Stuart Scott, um, who mm -hmm. was the late night anchor, and I think sometimes in the morning, um, his voice, his his charisma, his personality just really captivated me. So I started my undergrad journey um, wanting to be a sportscaster. So I started at Western Kentucky University. Uh, I studied journalism and broadcasting for about two and a half years. And then I transferred, came back home uh, to the University of Louisville, uh, where I finished my undergrad and still kept my journalism aspirations. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had the chance to do some cool stuff in undergrad, uh, freelance for um, a local paper. Well, actually, rather, I, I wrote for the student newspaper first, and then I was interning at a local TV station um, in the fall of 2012 and spring of 2013. So mm -hmm. I tell everyone my, my really cool undergrad experience was getting the chance to cover the um, national championship for UofL men's basketball. Um, yeah. And then that opened up the door for, for me to do some freelance journalism work in the city of Louisville uh, for, for, for quite some time. Um, and so I got to the age of maybe 23, 24, where uh, I realized I love sports a lot, but there was so much more to life. Um, and one of those uh, areas was just really exploring all that the world had to offer. And one way to do that was through the field of education. Yeah. Um, so uh, I went and got my master's degree where I had a focus at that time specifically on uh, Christian education and was fortunate to work at Simmons College of Kentucky, um, Louisville's only HBCU um, and a private historically black college and university in the state of Kentucky. Um, and so that's one of many experiences that really opened up just my perspective about life, about the world, and really learning. And I got to a place really, Will, where I really wanted to make an impact on someone else's life. Um, mm -hmm. And I've realized that one way to do that is through gaining knowledge. It's through education. Um, so I'm a huge advocate for education um, in any way that it's provided, whether it's higher ed or trade school, reading a book, studying what you see in the media, however you gain knowledge to get educated, I think that's what's needed because, you know, education is, is, is empowering. Knowledge is power. And we yeah. need that to, uh, to really make it in, in this world and in this life. Absolutely. Now, education is the key. And I, I think it's so interesting how journeys when, when you're when you're starting out, when you're early on, like in high school or even middle school, because in your book, you go back, you know, to your childhood, you don't see the you, you can't see the path ahead or know where it's leading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to find that purpose in your life, everything that happened before it starts to make more sense. Mm -hmm. Like I, I could really see that like throughout your story, like through it being purpose driven. I thought that was outstanding. I want to get into a few of the the topics from the book. I don't want to give away too much because I want people to go get it. 
But a huge key to finding your purpose, to pursuing goals, to living a fulfilled life, is a lot of it starts with self-awareness. And I know you know that. And so you share a great framework in the book, identifying your unique design. Mm-hmm. With design being an acronym, I love the way that you break that down. I don't want to give the whole thing away, but when it, I'd love to touch on a couple of those pieces of that acronym. Would you share what the the E for experiences means and elaborate on what that means for your life? Yeah, sometimes, you know, when you're younger, um, you you experience so many different things, you know, from from your childhood to adolescence to your young adult life. And I think as you get older as an adult, those experiences start to hold a, a deeper meaning, right? For some people, it's going to shape the trajectory and where they go. So you can have experiences that that tie into your upbringing, maybe the environment that you grew up in. That, that, that was a lot of my background. Maybe your family dynamics, parents and guardians that were in the home or maybe not in the home. Um, maybe traumas that you had as a child, as a teenager, things that maybe stuck with you as you got older. And so I think that when you get to your adult stage in life, you take all those experiences from your, your background and you're continuing to build on those experiences now that you're an adult to understand how these experiences give meaning and definition to your life. And then these experiences can also kind of pull and prick at your heart. that gives you a passion or an excitement or a fire about a particular area or a particular field. And some people, they find themselves working in certain parts of the world or certain industries in large part because of the amount of experiences that they've had to that particular field or to that particular space or to a particular group of people. Um, And so that's what I mean by experiences, that when you're trying to discover like, what is my purpose, right? Why am I here? Um, in large part, uh, we, we get some of the answers to those questions by thinking about what we've experienced in life. And a lot of times there might be a problem or an issue associated with those experiences. And so mm-hmm. part of our purpose or discovery of finding that purpose is I now see myself playing a pivotal role, a pivotal part in the solution of these problematic areas or problematic experiences that not only I have faced, but maybe other people around the world have experienced and faced as well. So that's a little bit of, uh, you know, where, where I'm trying to go with that idea of uh, experiences. Yeah, no, it's outstanding. And it, it really, when, when, you know, workplaces and employers are constantly talking about the importance of diversity in the workplace. And and part, part of that is, racial or different backgrounds or cultural, uh, but diversity in experiences is also like a really big piece of that in my mind. When I think of everybody has experienced different things throughout life, we have commonalities across a lot of things, but those experiences are huge. So I love that that piece was thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And then would you touch on the the G for genius? Yeah. So, you know, one of the most powerful things or, you know, one of the, the most incredible things that I think we have as human beings is, is our mind. Um, and so when you think about just, you know, your intrinsic ability to think and to create as a person, um, you know, all of us have something that, that is different, that stands out from other people. So that like when you begin to utilize the power of your mind and the ability to create, and then it begins to separate you from others in the world, right? While we all share similarities as people, we're all uniquely different. We're, we're all one of one, right? We're not a clone. We're not a duplicate. Um, we're the only William Bland or Randy Whetstone Jr. on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's tapping into our personal individuality and understanding the genius that we have, your creative ability to speak, create, and do what we do, and then creating this process of repetition, of productivity, um, resilience, uh, that really, again, separates you from others. And that's another area that allows us to tap into our purpose and who we are as individuals. Um, And so when a person really taps into their, their genius, 
they really see the things that they're able to do as though they like, you know, do it in their sleep. It doesn't take right. much work. It doesn't take much effort. They find happiness. They find joy. They find success in this particular area. Um, and it's something that's uniquely tied to that person, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is, with our with our genius or, or our skill set, our talents, we may possess the same type of talent that another person has, but we're able to exercise that talent in a way that only we can, and maybe in a way that the world has never seen. Um, and I like I like sports as an analogy. I'm a big sports guy, and yeah. so you know, you know, you think about the the National Basketball Association. You've got all these guys who have the ability, or most of them have the ability, to shoot a basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little over 400 jobs in the league, but there's there's Stephen Curry, who just has that unique genetic and ability to shoot the ball that's just different than everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Where he literally stands alone, and some would you know consider him. I consider him arguably the greatest shooter ever to touch the basketball. Um, mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that we have to think about when it comes to genius and our creative abilities. While you might possess talents and gifts that others have, you're able to do it in a way that you do it that nobody else can do as well. Um, and that's where we have to really maximize our potential and give a lot of our attention as it pertains to that. Yeah. So do, do you think that part of that genius, do you think that it's... Uh something that you're born with or do you think it's a compilation of uh of some genetics but then also you know the the experiences and then also the practice because i know for steph he does have that that uniqueness but you think Mm of uh there was somebody i was listening to recently and they were talking about you know he puts up at least 500 shots a day and has Mm -hmm. done that consistently for at least the last 15 years adding up Mm -hmm. to, to millions of unseen shots just to be able to make a few thousand shots publicly. Um, mm-hmm. So when it comes to that genius, how much of it do you think is genetic versus experience and practice? I think it's a good blend of both. You know, some things are innate. It's just a natural born ability that a person might have. But then what has to get coupled with that is the practice, the repetition. It's honing your craft, right? And you have what you have in in, in, our, in this world you have a lot of natural born talented individuals, but some never reached their peak or potential because they never honed their craft. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have individuals who they may not have the natural born ability, but they really hone their craft and they, they, they get really good at something that just didn't come naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. And so on one end you have some who are just crazy gifted and talented based on the first breath that they take when they come out of the womb. But maybe they don't reach their potential because they don't put in the work. Then you have those who may not be as talented per se, but they work their butt off and they find themselves ascending to new heights because of that work and grind and time that they put in. The goal that 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 we want to the goal that we want to achieve is having that that balance of both. It's identifying your natural talents, your innate abilities and then coupling that with you working your butt off in your space and knowing how you've been wired and tooled to do great work in this world. Um, what we don't want to do is uh, identify a talent that really isn't our, ta- our talent, and then we work ty- tirelessly uh, to cultivate something that we were not born or meant to do or to achieve. And unfortunately, yeah. we see a lot of that in our world. We see people wanting to be copies of someone else or something else, and they are consistently uh, resilient and and persistent towards a dead end. And that's dangerous because you only have one life mm-hmm. to live. And, so, yeah. and some people, I think, Will, are, are, are just extremely tired mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because they're not seeing the results that they want it could be that a lot of people are putting in a lot of time and work towards a particular area or talent that isn't your calling. It's not what you've been called to do or to mm-hmm. achieve in this world. And so you feel as though you're working towards a dead end. That That's what we don't want to do. Um, but a lot of that goes back to childhood. It, it's it's yeah. working with youth for them to embrace their identity, to really un 
unpack and and really discover their talents and their abilities. And it's the job, not just of teachers in the school system, but it really starts at home in the family unit and the family dynamic. And it's allowing that child to grow in what they are good at. And even if it might not be popular in school, it's what you're good at. So if that's playing the piano, if that's doing mathematics, if that is understanding aspects of biology at the age of five, or if that's shooting a basketball, it's having the courage to really walk in that and to grow in that. And when we look at people who have done great things in this world, if you study the age in which they started their craft, you'll be amazed at how young they were when they were honing that talent and are honing their craft, cultivating that ability. Um, yeah. That's the goal um, when it comes to, you know, that genius and those experiences, tapping into that at a young age and letting that young person be courageous and bold and, and what they possess and have. Oh, yeah. And I think part of that uh, to find like once you find it and you decide this is something I want to go after, I think a big part of, of being able to stick to that and maintain motivation along the journey is, is finding your why. And you talk about that in the book. So you talk about deciding who you live for and the why behind what you do. And mm -hmm. obviously with the podcast, I talk about finding a why bigger than your excuses. So that that piece really resonated with me. Love that part of the book. Can you elaborate on that and the importance of a strong why as your driving force? Yeah. You know, no, no one is is um, I don't believe any any person, any human is born um, as an accident. Um, now, the conditions by which someone is born may vary. Right. Uh, but a child, I believe a child is is a is a blessing, not a burden, but a blessing. Right. right. And so when we understand that, that 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 life has meaning, your life has meaning, um, you you begin to understand that there is an answer to that. That why question. Why do I exist? Why am I alive? Why am I here? These are all questions that I grappled with and struggled with. Um, uh, in my early 20s, and I got to a place of discovering the answer to that why, right? Um, and so that's kind of our goal, you know, as we live this life, it's understanding that my life has meaning and why am I here, right, to do the things that mm -hmm. I do. There's, there's a leadership um, kind of guru who I like and follow. His name is Simon Sinek. Okay, and I've heard of him. He's Yes. And, and he says that at the very core of us and our being is our why. It's not um, what we do or how we do it. It's why we do it. Um, and he uses, I think, as an example, Apple. And he says that what Apple produces, I think he uses any of their products in iPhone. Um, he said they wanted to make sure that the product was something that was user friendly. Now, you know, that's that's relative depending on who you talk to. Uh, but at the core of, of Apple was why did they create their devices the way that they did so that it could be user friendly for so many? Um, and so how they created devices and what they do um, all derives from, again, that particular why. And so he argues that people buy your why. They don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Um, and so at the core of our why, right, that's that's the heart of our passion. That's where our fire resides. That's that motivation that gets us up in the morning and pushes us to keep working towards a particular aim and goal. That's purpose. Purpose is getting up every day and knowing that I'm laser focused and tunnel vision towards a particular end. And I'm clear on what that end is. I'm clear on what that aim is and that 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 linear perspective is what gives meaning to our why. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me personally, I learned my why by having a rock bottom experience. Right. Uh, really, really yeah. grappling with some existential crisis questions of why am I here? What's the purpose of life? What's the purpose and meaning of my mere existence, right? Um, and through my faith, um, I realized, you know, what my purpose was um, and how impactful, um, you know, that why is in terms of leaving a legacy 
and impacting lives for really generations to come. And so as a result, a big part of my passion motivation is helping others to discover that why um, as well. Understanding your why personally and at your core, but then it also expands out in the work that you do and understanding the why in that space as well. Oh, yeah. That's an extremely noble cause. And, and I think that it provides a lot of fulfillment when you're able to take that experience from what you've learned and then to be able to share that to help others find it. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, yeah. For the for the five step process to goaltending, uh, once once people identify their goal and their why behind it. I talk about having to to figure out your resources beyond that. Now I have to figure out like what tools, skills, resources I already have at my disposal to be able to accomplish this goal. And then what tools, skills, resources, or even relationships am I going to need that I don't already have? And so in your book, you talk about having the right tools to achieve your goals. You share a story uh, about realizing the tools you would need that you didn't have to accomplish a task. Can you talk a little bit about that, the importance of figuring out what tools you need to build your dreams? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it starts back with understanding our talents, our gifts, our abilities. You know, those are those are a part of the, the toolkit. I'll put it mm -hmm. that way to us achieving our goals. It's, it's recognizing what you're able to do, your abilities, um, and coupling that, of course, with you know your passion, your experiences, etc. But what you also need in your toolkit are are you know things like um, a good social health, right? The power of networking, the power of interpersonal relationships. Um, you know, none of us get through this life all alone. We're not meant to be isolated in, in our little bubble as we're on this quest to success. But there's always someone who has come along to impact our life and, Im and impact our life for the better to help us to achieve our goals. Um, one thing that I love as it pertains to legacy is that um, there's always someone who's come before us who has been there and done that. And I speak about that in the book as well. It's mm -hmm. tapping into those relationships where you have someone who's just a bit more wise and seasoned and, and trained in a particular area that will help you to cultivate your skill set, your tools. They'll add more tools to your toolkit, but they'll help you to know how to use your tools as you navigate life as well. So you so you have to have great social health and wealth. And notice I say health because you know sometimes there can be people in your life who will sabotage your successes not support your successes. And people will do one of two things in this life. They'll either support your work or they'll sabotage your work. So you have to have healthy relationships in your life from your friendships, your family members, your romantic relationships. Can you really assess those and say that these are healthy social connections? But then social wealth is having a variety of, of different individuals who you can go to for different reasons, different causes, different fields, etc. You may have someone who's very wise and astute as it pertains to relationships. If your goal is perhaps marriage and love, things of that nature, you may have someone as part of your social wealth who is a financial expert, a financial advisor that they really understand finances in this country or in the world at large. Or it might be someone who um, is really like your your therapist, your your confidant, your your counselor, so to speak. So that you know, when you deal with some of the daily hassles and, and triggers um, that kind of get to us, you have someone where you can, in a healthy way, kind of digest and unpack some of those emotions that you have. So it's understanding in your toolkit that people serve different purposes in your life, and it's understanding what kind of those relationships look like and cultivating that relationship as well. So you got to have social health, social wealth, uh, but you also in your toolkit, you have to be someone who's a lifelong learner. So you have to constantly have this hunger and thirst for knowledge, right? That you should be not only mastering what your particular field or, or discipline is, but you should try to learn uh, a, 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 a lot about just about just about anything as much as you can you know a little bit about everything 
right? So you have to be somebody who is hungry for knowledge, hungry for education. Um, and then in your toolkit, you know, you have to have going back to some of those intangibles. It's self-determination. Um, it's resilience, as I've mentioned. Um, it's the will and a determination to not quit and to give up. Um, it has to be discipline. Discipline is major uh, because, you know, there's so many things that we'll do on a repetitive basis. And the people who really excel at the highest are, are the people who have took serious the process. It's that process of training yourself every day, the discipline of training yourself every day, honing that skill set that you have to be your very, very best. And you have to be meticulous. You have to mm -hmm. pay attention to the small, minor details. And it's perfecting. It's it's your uh, quest to perfect even those smallest of details that really get you to reaching your goal. And the last thing I would probably say in your toolkit uh, that you need to have, Will, is, is understanding timing understanding mm -hmm. timing and understanding oh, yeah. the seasons of life, right? Um, mm -hmm. That everything doesn't happen when you want it to happen. In fact, everything is not supposed to happen when we want it to happen. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the whole point of the process because there's so many lessons that are learned while you're going through that process of your short or mid or long-term goal that really trains you up and cultivates you and then elevates you for that next level once you do reach that goal. That's the thing when it comes to goal setting. It's not that you reach this level and then you have arrived. We 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 have never we never arrive until we take our last breath. That's mm -hmm. the mindset that we should have. Because when you then hit that ceiling, the next question should be what's next, right? What am I going to do next? How am I going to take what I've learned from this process of reaching this goal? And then elevate to another level, to another status, to another stratosphere. Where we should always have the, the hunger to grow, to elevate, and to be better. And so one way to do that is understanding timing, right? That for this time, this is what I have to go through to achieve this goal. It might be oh, yeah. six months. It could be two years. It could be 30 days. But you endure the process. Because you don't want to shortchange that trip, that journey, because there's lessons that are coming along during that 30-day period, six-month period, two-year period, you name it, to where once you finally reach that milestone, you say, yeah, that's why I had to go through that process. Whether it was smooth, rocky, whether it was just like complete hell, you realize why you had to endure what you endured. But guess what? It prepares you for that next chapter of your life and what's to come next. So those are a few things amongst probably many other that, you know, I think are definitely needed in your toolkit as you're uh, looking oh, yeah. to achieve those goals. Oh, yeah. No, all great points, man. Huge on timing. Oh, timing being so critical because it would be nice if we could just snap our fingers and, ha mm -hmm. you know, have ha have things happen like when we want them to happen. But I, I like that you elaborated on the piece of I think there's a whole lot more gratitude tied to the outcome on the back end by not having control over that time and that appreciation mm -hmm. for the journey. So that's a great point. The relationships. I love that you hit big on the relationships because that it's it's tough to you don't want to think of a relationship as as like a tool necessarily of of looking at it as like I'm just trying to get something from this or like just trying to use this as a tool. But it really it, it really is. Um, but you, you I, I think that it's important to think of it like so much more than just a tool. Like there's so much more from it. Uh, you, you know, some of your stories in the book, which I don't want to get into. I want people to read that, uh, you, you know, the, the growth that you gain from people in your life that, that saw something for you or helped direct you or taught you something. Those relationships are critical. I, I've experienced the same thing in my journey with different people. And that's really what helps you progress. So having those right people around you cannot be elaborated on enough. Mm -hmm. um, to get back to an earlier part of our conversation, as we're talking about, uh, sometimes people put a lot of effort and try to go after things that 
that's not necessarily what their purpose was supposed to be or what their skill set is aligned with. Can you differentiate between hobbies and the gifts that align with your purpose? How do we differentiate between those two things? I, I think it's I think it's the um, the lasting impact, the end result. Um, I think those are the things that differentiate between a hobby uh, versus, you know, your actual gifts and talents and um, uh, things that tie into your goals and uh, and your purpose, uh, because you can do you can have a hobby, but no one may be impacted by your hobby. Right. That you you may have a hobby of doing art, a hobby of shooting pool, hobby of being a gamer, hobby of singing. Uh, but it's a hobby. The end result could be yourself. Right. It's just mere enjoyment for you. But your goals and your talents are some are things that really transcend you and, and, and your purpose being associated with that. It transcends you because it's something that you enjoy doing, but others are positively impacted by what you're doing as well. And that's the difference. Right. That a hobby could be something for personal enjoyment versus your your purpose driven decision making and gifts and talents and abilities are things that other people are, are are being impacted by even beyond your time being here on earth um so mm. i think that's the difference it's it's your impact yeah. um it's that legacy that is left behind um and you know it's you realizing that somebody else's life is being touched by what i'm doing right not that mm-hmm what I'm doing and not that all hobbies are done, you know, isolated individually or in one silo, uh, but it's understanding that another life is, is being made better because of my work. Yeah. Oh no, that, that that's a, a great uh, differentiator. Great, great explanation of those two. In, in terms of those important relationships we were just talking about uh, you brought, you brought up the topic of influence in your book. Influence being so critical. I, I love the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, it, it, it's an outstanding book as well. And you, you brought up regarding how everyone we encounter leaves an impression on us and we leave an impression on them. I think that's a, a really important thing to think about and to consider because uh, sometimes we have those off days and we just think that that there's people who think, okay, like I'm having an off day and they allow that to impact the interaction with another person or other people, not thinking about the the lasting impact that has or the influence that's connected to that. So can you talk a little bit about how influence plays a role in our lives? Yeah. You know, we, we, we consume all types of content, you know, on a daily basis, right. Um, from social media to conversations, to what we see on TV, what we read, um, you name it. We live in in a world of information overload. Um, And so with that, there are all types of different opportunities of influence that we allow in or we don't allow in. Um, And I think it's important that we recognize that what we consume does have that influential effect on us, either good or bad, right? Um, So our daily consumption of content is going to have a major influence on how you think, how you feel, how you act, the things that you do on a daily basis. So one question that I uh, I always uh, raise to to folks is, uh, you know, what 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 is your diet like, right? What is your diet as it pertains to content? Okay, because if you're consuming Mm. a lot of negative content on a daily basis, it's going to have a major influence on your perspective. Right. You might turn into pessimistic Patrick or pessimistic Patty right? (laughs) Uh, because you're consuming so much negativity. It's hard to have a positive outlook now on life. Right. And then if you develop a negative attitude or disposition, it's now going to affect how you feel. It's going to affect how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your family, how you feel about your friends, how you feel about work and the job that you have to get up and do every single day. And then it's going to affect your productivity and your output in this world as well. And so because of what you consume, um, if it's negative, 
you're now putting out more negativity because that content has consumed you holistically. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if your actions, whether you what you speak or what you do, if they are negative, you're now influencing other people and you're you're reproducing this unhealthy cycle. But on the flip side, the same effect can happen if it's positive. Right. That if your consumption, your, your content diet is positive and you're taking in things that really build you up and don't break you down on a daily basis, then mm -hmm. it's going to have an influence on how you think. You will be perhaps more optimistic than pessimistic, that you'll be positive, right? That you'll um, you know, have this joy and happiness and excitement about yourself. You'll feel good. You love yourself. You respect yourself. You're kind to yourself. You realize that you should treat yourself better than anyone else. And the standard in which you treat yourself and love yourself, that you will not accept anything less from anyone else because you love yourself better than anyone else here on the planet. And then what you do in your work, you feel good about it. And so you're a high performer, okay? Because you feel good. And so how you act and what you say and what you do, you're making a positive difference in your family unit. You're making a positive difference in your community. You're making a positive difference in the workforce and you're actually uplifting the morale, the environment and the spirits of others because of what you're consuming has this positive influence and effect on others. And so while you know others might see the glass as half empty, you're that person who sees the glass as half full because you see the possibilities, right? You don't see a problem for a problem. You see the opportunity and the possible solutions in creating that problem. But how do you get to the place of doing that? It all starts here with that battle in between the ears. It all yeah. begins with your mindset. And a lot of what um, determines that mindset is what we allow into our mind. It's what we download into our mind, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so those are different examples of, of influence that on a daily basis, we are influenced by people, by media, by what we read, by different types and forms of information. Um, but we're also an influencer where based on our life and our lifestyles, our choices, the way that we think and what we do, we're also influencing other people as well. I say mm -hmm. in the book that, um, you know, our life is kind of like a movie. We're always being watched. People won't always tell you that they're watching you, but people are always watching you. And the question mm -hmm. is, what are people learning or gaining, good or bad, from your lifestyle or from your movie, right? Yeah. Um, so those are the things that we have to keep in mind as it pertains to influence. Oh, yeah. No, I, man, I love that idea of thinking of the content you consume as like your diet. Because when you think about, you know, eating terrible, like bad ultra processed foods and things like that and the impact that that has on your body, thinking about that content in your mind and the impact that mm -hmm. has on your mind in that same way. Such a such an interesting analogy. I really like that. Um, and with those relationships now, when you're when you're having relationships, when you're interacting with anyone outside of yourself, sometimes there's going to be disagreements or conflicts or things that that you don't align with with other people. And so I love that you got into conflict resolution in the book as well, uh, with, with that being a, a critical factor in how you maintain and manage relationships in your life. So I don't want to like give too much, but can you share just one or two of the ways to resolve conflict that you share in the book? Yeah, you know, uh, two things that I'll share, um, and I think it kind of is piggybacked off of what I just mentioned about influence and um, our attitudes and our productivity, that when you do have that good, healthy diet of content and you have a positive outlook and perspective, it's going to shape the way that you view com conflict as well. Okay, because mm -hmm. for some people, conflict is a burden. It's a problem. It's a difficulty to overcome. But for some conflict is an opportunity to learn and to gain knowledge and to get better. Um, and that should be the goal of conflict. Not all conflict is bad and damaging. And, oh, my gosh, I got this huge problem with this person that I won't overcome. Um, perhaps the goal should be let me discover the silver lining out of this conflict 
what is it that I'm supposed to learn or how am I supposed to gain knowledge? Okay. Mm -hmm. So one way to resolve conflict is that we have to, we have to listen. If you have conflict, let's just say it's conflict in an interpersonal relationship, you and another person, as you have two individuals sharing their views, their opinions, and their thoughts, it's easy to go into that conversation with your conclusion and with your thoughts and you wanting to get your point across without fully understanding the full meaning of the conflict in that other side. And so one way to resolve conflict is that you have to be a deep listener, okay? You have to remove that perceptual filter that says, well, based on my previous experiences, with this particular conflict or my previous experiences with this person, oh, I know what this outcome is going to be. Oh, I know what they're going to say. Not necessarily, mm -hmm. right? So we have to have an open mind, be objective, and allow that person to speak and to share. Um, and we have to be deep listeners. And that being a deep listener is being able to hear sometimes what the the, the mouth doesn't fully say or articulate it's what the heart is trying to, to utter and say, mm -hmm. right? Um, and sometimes you can hear that in the tone and a delivery um, of, of what a person is saying. Um, right. And I think in resolving conflict, it's making a conscientious effort to be more um, empathetic and, and putting ourselves in the shoes of that person to see it the way that they see it. And sometimes that's difficult, especially if the conflict has negatively impacted or affected you, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's stepping, it, it's kind of stepping outside of yourself to really be a deep listener. It's almost as if you have to play mediator, right? It's almost if you can step outside <laughs> of yourself and you step to the side and you see yourself and then you see the other person and mm -hmm. you objectively are listening to both sides to understand the conflict here. So you have to be a deep listener. And then I'm a big advocate of uh, not wasting a lot of time and energy on the problem. Okay. Yeah. Both individuals should have the time and space to, to share and to vent, but we're not going to spend all of our time on the problem because, because you'll find yourself having poor communication and effective communication and probably eventually talking in circles. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, rehearsing the same problem, probably a million different ways. Right. But the problem yeah. is still the problem. So I argue that you should spend 20 percent on a problem, 80 percent on a solution. Yes. OK. Um, work as hard as you can to not take everything personally. All right. Some things might be a little personal. It might hurt your feelings, but everything isn't personal. Okay. And by understanding that it can help us in our resolution stage. Okay. And you want to find a resolution that will be beneficial, not just for one party, but for both parties. Okay. Mm -hmm. And once the conflict is resolved, you want to look back and reflect um, and think, you know, what did I learn from this conflict? What did I learn from the communication? What did I learn about myself? What did I learn about the other person? And so I'm a huge, huge supporter of, of personal reflection um, on a daily basis, um, yeah. each day, reflecting, thinking about your day, thinking about your choices, thinking about your interactions, and really assessing and evaluating yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and so those are just a few things that I think are helpful as it pertains to resolving conflict. Oh, yeah. No, those are outstanding. And one of the things that humans just naturally do is we, we're often listening to respond. Yeah. Like we're, we're just listening and waiting for our chance to say our, ne our next part. Right. And mm -hmm. when we do that, we are missing that other side. We're only thinking about what we have to say, not what I am receiving, like not what I'm getting from this other person. I love the way that you describe that, like deep listening. And that's not even just for conflicts. Like that's that's for life in general. You should be deeply trying to listen and receive information from other people, not just listening to respond, but mm -hmm. to receive and process. I'm glad you brought that up. This is the last piece that I want to touch on from the book before we get into a little bit more uh, quoted directly from the book. Purpose driven decision making means making choices 
that align with one's purpose and passion. So there's a lot of people that come up through undesirable circumstances Mm -hmm. And you can you can grow from that or you can become a product of your environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talk about that some in the book. I think it's a critical topic to address. Um, Can you talk about some of the ways people can can use this to get out of undesirable circumstances instead of becoming a product of their environment? Yeah, you know, you you have to have a courage and a bravery to make a choice that sometimes may be unpopular or it goes against perhaps the status quo right or the 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 consensus amongst the group right so mm-hmm. as you as you are achieving your purpose and working towards purpose driven goals that passion and that fire you will find yourself having to make decisions that's perhaps a solo decision it may not be in the best interest of a friend it may not be in the best interest of a family member or a significant other, but it's the best decision for you. And that's what you have to always remember when it pertains to purpose. One's purpose is it's individual. It's it's an individual call, but it impacts the masses at large. So you find yourself sometimes having to sit down and say that this is what I have to do. This is the choice that I have to make. And I can't be concerned if other people don't like the choice or if they're upset with it. It's what I have to do for me because this choice I know is me being integritous to my purpose-driven goals and passion, right? That at the end of the day, that end goal, that aim, and that purpose is always at the forefront of one's mind. Right. It's always at the end and the conclusion to say that if I make this choice, is this going to continue to push me closer to that purpose or is it going to push me more away from that purpose? And the idea of being a product of your environment is is really it's really widespread. It's it's not just for me personally. I grew up in a ghetto. I grew up in a hood, one of the poorest zip codes in the state of Kentucky. And so being a product of my environment, you know, meant that I may never get off of, you know, the street that I grew up on, 18th and Greenwood. I may never be able to see beyond, you know, this particular zip code, this this particular radius. Um, I may not finish school. I, I, I may not go to college. You know, I could get engaged in drug activity. I could be engaged in street life, right? Those were some of the possibilities of being a product of of my environment, but my environment is not everyone's environment. Someone else's environment could be, you could live in the suburbs in a, 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 a house with so much square footage, an ideal family unit, mom, dad, siblings, mom, dad, double income, great jobs, great career, but maybe you have parents or guardians who want to control and dictate what your life and career will be, right? Mm-hmm. Since they've been so successful and so affluent, they now say that you won't be respected or loved or embraced as a child if you don't become a lawyer or a doctor or or some career that they find to be worthy. That's an environment where that child says, I don't want to, I don't want to be a product of this environment where I'm controlled by my parents, where they want me to be a lawyer, but I have a dream of, doing this or doing that, right? And you know in your heart that that's your calling and your assignment for life, but you feel you feel stunted in your growth because maybe your environment has included your parents who have always provided and been there mm-hmm. and they want to control and dictate every living part of your life. So you say, I need yeah. to make a choice where I got to get out of here. I got to get away. And that means that I might have to work harder or get a job or make it on my own where I can kind of break the 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 cord, the umbilical cord with my parents to say that I can stand and be all that I can be on my own. And I believe this goal that I have for my life. That could be that person's environment. Yeah. Right. And they don't want to be a product of it. Um, so. Uh, you know, your environment is widespread. It could be working at a job 
that you absolutely hate, right? You hate it. You hate it. You don't like the atmosphere. You know that it's not where you're supposed to be. And it's taking that, it's making that decision. It's walking in faith to say, today might be my last day, or I'm putting in my two weeks and I'm leaving, right? I may not know what opportunity is coming afterwards, but I, but I believe that my purpose is greater than this particular environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are just examples of different types of environments, but it's, you know, you making decisions for your life that is going to propel you in, in, to, you know, achieve your purpose and not remain in that space when you know that there's no growth, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you, you, you now have realized that I'm going through a daily routine that doesn't have any positive end or get me closer to my purpose in life as well. Yeah, no, that that's powerful and great examples. Um, it, it's, it can be easy to become a product of your environment, to just stay in those things because they're familiar or they're comfortable. Uh, and so even if it's not a good thing, it's what you're used to. So it can be yeah. easy to stay there. So I, I'm so glad that you, uh, you know, shared and talked about that in the book. And thank you for sharing those examples. Um, mm. Now, getting outside of the topics in the book, I want to talk about the process of writing the book itself, because I've had a lot of people um, at some events that I've done recently or or just in general and talking about guests they would love to hear from. People want to know about the book writing process, like what what that in itself is like. So can you talk about, you know, how you decided to write the book and then how you prioritized writing along with your, you know, busy schedule of education and the multiple like boards and organizations that you're involved with? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually began writing Prevailing with Purpose. I want to say it was um, in 2018 or so. I was a, I was a doctoral student um, going through my coursework and um, I was I was teaching in, in higher ed. Um, and so writing and editing was my life every day. Um, I'm writing papers for classes. Uh, but I, I, I can't probably even put it into words what I was thinking <laughs> during that time. <laughs> but every morning, as part of my routine, my morning regimen would always be I would wake up, I would pray, I would thank God for a new day. I would read a scripture. It would be my like my word for the day. Mm-hmm. And then I would just start writing. And I was writing on my phone, Will, every morning. I was sitting and I was typing, literally prevailing with purpose in Google Docs on my phone. And every morning I'm just I'm just writing, just free flowing, just thoughts or just, you know, and eventually I got to a point where this is like a chapter. This is a chapter. So I like stuck a title on this chapter and it was content. And then I kept writing. I said, "Okay, I think I want to write about this. And I lied to you not probably in my initial stages of writing this book. Probably, I know for a fact, probably more than 75% of it began with me just typing on my phone, Google Docs. Uh, It was not on a computer. I knew that the content, I could pull it up on my laptop through through Docs at any point. And I think I probably used Google Docs because I knew that when ideas came to my mind, I could instantly go to my phone and just add notes or type. And, and not have to handwrite something and, oh, well, I got to get back to my laptop. And and the thing with writing is that when you got like this flow of, of, of just words and content, it's just like flowing. And I love writing. Yeah. Um, you got to get it on paper. <laughs> and so I think that's why I use Google Docs um, and my cell phone, because I knew that I could I could quickly assess my electronic device once an idea came to mind or some yeah. content. Uh, for a particular passage out of the book. Uh, so I wrote the whole manuscript, right? Um, which was nuts because I'm writing a book while I'm also writing these papers for a doctoral degree, <laughs> which doesn't make, you know, my professors to this day, if they hear that, if they hear this, uh, this interview, I'm sure they'll come to realize, you know, what was going on, but that's literally what I was doing. I was, I was so hungry and my grind was, it was just different, you know, because, I, you know, being in school for a long time, you don't have money 
when you're in, in college, in, in a yeah. grad student, like you're you're on a grind hoping that all the degrees pay off, right? You don't have really much money as you're going through it. So I just I just had this hunger, man. Just I'm just hungry, I'm grinding, and you just you're just tapping into stuff. And that was me, 2018. Um long story short, uh, the manuscript was done. It was just written. It was a lot of words on paper, somewhat organized. But then you got the next stage where you have to edit. Um, yeah, and yeah. for me, that was the elephant. Like that was like the monkey on my back that, oh, God. All right. I've got to finish school. I got to finish this research and stuff that I'm doing here. But now I've got over 100 pages that I've written on another project that has to get edited. Um, and I sat the manuscript on a shelf. It was five years. It was five years, Will. And it was a monkey on my back because yeah. I'm like, man, you know, you you have to you have to complete what you started. And I'm a believer of that. I'm like, I'm teaching this to my college students, the power of completion, how you never want to uh, be a person who 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 gets 99%, your goal has to be 100 because 99% is you put in so much work, but it's that 1% that prevents you from achieving what you work for. And I'm looking myself in the mirror like, brother, this is your life, right? <laughs> you got to practice what you preach. You yeah. are telling people to work hard so they can complete their degree and their college education. But here you've got this book that you haven't completed. And uh, it would just always wane on me. Like every year, you know, January of whatever that year was, what's my goal for that year? Finish the book, finish the book. All these years passed, never was completed until January of 23. January of 2023 was, um, it was a rough season um, in my life. And uh, it, it got to the point where, um my hurt and my pain was so deep. Um, I really, I believe God woke me up at like three in the morning, Will. And all I heard was go finish your book. And then after that, I heard pain can push you into your purpose. Pain doesn't last forever, but your purpose lives on. Mm -hmm. And I got up at three in the morning and I just began editing. I created the table of contents. I went through every chapter and I began to edit. And when I got really serious about it was when I made the financial investment to get the book published. And I didn't really have the income at that time to publish a book. But I said, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm getting this done. And I began working with the publisher. Um, and it was a it was a it was a very long and patient process. In terms of editing and revising, um, because, you know, as a college professor, I'm grading papers. So now I'm grading my own work as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I'm now communicating with the editors who are editing my work and I'm making sure I'm saying what I want to be said. But that, you know, spelling, grammar, punctuation, all of that, making sure all of that is correct. Um, and so I found myself reading the complete manuscript um, I don't know how many times, but when it comes to the book publishing process, um, if you're going to take very serious the editing process and you and everyone does it differently, uh, but I took very serious my editing and revising process, you're going to definitely read that manuscript a ton of times. Yeah. Um, but then from there, you know, the fun things happen. You pick the layout, you pick, um, you know, the title, you pick. Um, if you want to go through, um, if you want to self-publish, which is what I did, or if you want to uh, go through a publishing company um, where, you know, you kind of, you know, hand over the rights of your work um, to others. I'm a big believer of intellectual property. So what I say or write or think I want to own, um, mm -hmm. which is why I chose the route of, of self-publishing. Um, and so it was it was a milestone that. Um, you know, had been a goal for five years. Um, and going back to what we just said about how, how do you reach your goals and the decisions that you make, um, that was a, it, it was something that convicted me, right? That yeah. here, these are things that I have written, 
but now you got to actually live it out. It, it, and, and then the book becomes even more real for someone else uh, because you've, you've actually put into practice the things that you've said and you've believed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, excellent story. Uh, I, I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that publishing process, because I know that that can be a thing that's intimidating to people who are not sure where, you know, how to decide or figure out, do I use a publisher? Do I not? And you talked about the piece of maintaining ownership of the work and choosing to self-publish. But then did you say that also that you were working with an external source in terms of the editing process? Is that what I understood? Yeah. So I went to a publishing company that allowed me to self-publish uh, to where in terms of, um, you know, uh, the intellectual property, everything that's copywritten, you know, those are things that, that, that I own, that I have the rights to. Um, versus if you go to a, a, a publishing company, um, you know, they, they may, it varies per company, but as an example, you know, they may give you an advance of X amount of dollars, um, and that's your complete payout or royalty for your work. But they determine how the book is sold or distributed, things like that. So you're less hands-on from that standpoint. Self-publishing, you really can control the distribution of your work um, and have more control over royalties as well from that standpoint. Um, I am a huge advocate of, of of protecting intellectual property because, you know, I believe that all great things that have happened in our world have all come from someone who had some great idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's us protecting that idea and controlling it uh, that really makes the difference. Um, and that's the big reason why um, I, I chose to self-publish. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are different routes or different avenues that you can take. Of course, you can write up a manuscript and you can send it to publishers and, um, they either accept or deny your work or versus if you self-publish, it's you publishing and putting it out there on your own um, from that standpoint as well. So there's different avenues that you can take um, when it comes to, to publishing. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, uh, man, I'm loving the episode and I, I, I wish that it was not already to an hour because I don't know how we got here. So I'm going to ask one more question because um, I, I want to make sure that people get this piece before we close out. And that's just what was the biggest lesson you learned from writing the book? It, it probably goes back to that, that quote I just mentioned that uh, pain can, will push you into your purpose. Uh, pain doesn't last forever purpose, your purpose can live beyond you. Um, I think that's what, what, I, what I learned the most from completing this project, that regardless of what I was facing or going through, that my purpose, you know, touching the lives of other people, that that still had life to it, that that still had meaning, and that by completing this project was going to further fulfill that purpose, you know, at that particular stage of my life. Um, and so it's 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 something that um, I patted myself on the back uh, because going through what I was going through to finish this um, meant a lot in terms of building up my character, um, my fortitude, my strength just as a person. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing that I learned that regardless of what you face, keep pushing never quit, never give up on your goals. And you never know that life episode really would be the thing to just light a fire under you to definitely knock that thing out of the park that mm -hmm. you, uh, that you've been wanting to work on and achieve. Powerful, powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I want people to be able to find the book, find you connect with you. What's the best way for people to connect, get your book, uh, or, or anything else that you want to promote? Absolutely, yeah. So the book can be found on um, the website for Prevailing with Purpose. It's prevailing-with-purpose.com. Um, or the book can be found uh, on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Uh, for autographed copies, you can uh, get the book from the website, prevailing-with-purpose.com. Um, you can find me on social media, on Instagram at Dr. Whetstone. It's dr.whetstone. 
um, on Twitter, or I think it's called X now. I think Elon Musk has changed the name or someone has. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's Dr. Underscore Whetstone uh, or Facebook, which is Randy Whetstone Jr. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn, Randy Whetstone Jr. Um, EDD. So those are the social media platforms that I'm on. And uh, yeah, definitely connect. And um, I'm always here to serve and help people in any way that I can. Yes. So I, I'm going to say again, the book was fantastic. I've got it right here. If you're watching the video, this is what it looks like. Make sure you go get a copy. Outstanding uh, tips, stories, lessons learned uh, from this book. So go get it. Randy, thank you again so much for you know taking the time, sharing your journey, lessons learned to help others grow. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you to the audience uh, for tuning in, allowing us to be a part of your journey and just play a small role in your growth. If you've enjoyed the episode, please go like, subscribe to it. Give a five-star review that really goes a long way and share it with others to help it grow and impact as many people as possible. We want to connect with you. So join the conversation by sharing comments and your thoughts and questions and let's grow. Let's grow.